word with you this morning, Ecclesiastes. It's a joy to be back at Redeemer. It's a sweet congregation. Uh, you've got a great pastor, as you know. Uh, it's uh, a great man, and uh, it's hard to have your ser- your service without Carlos's sense of humor. You know, it, it's it's very can't replace it. But uh, let me encourage you on you know what you're doing for your pastor uh, this summer. Uh, that's a testimony of the gospel um, to love your pastor. Uh, I was a pastor's kid, raised in the church, as my dad was a pastor. And um, I didn't always see congregations treat my father uh, the best way. Uh, but God was gracious in not allowing that to make me have a negative view towards the church. Um, and I'm thankful for that. And so it is always, I think, a, a blessed thing and a great thing to see a church love its pastor. And let me encourage you to continue to do that. Ecclesiastes, if you have a copy of God's Word, one of the books that I love uh, and we'll just kind of set down a, kind of an introduction this morning to this book and just some thoughts. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And let me encourage you to stand uh, this morning, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. The Word of the Preacher, the Son of David, King of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the Preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the stream flows, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which is said, see this is new? It has been already in the ages before. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things, yet to be among those who come after. Dear Father, we're thankful for your word. We ask that you would use it to speak into our lives this morning, and that your will would be done, whatever it may be, to either encourage the saint or to convict the sinner. Father, we ask that you would be glorified and lifted up, and we ask these things in the strong name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If you've got any familiarity with the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that this book was written by Solomon. In verse number 1, he gives several things and several phrases to describe himself. He was the son of David. He was the king of Israel. He was the second son of David, of course, from an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. He writes this book more than likely somewhere around 930, 931 A.D., And there are two things that we know about the author that writes this book. That other than Christ, he was the wisest man to ever live on the earth. He was a man that God came to him and gave him a blank check. Says, what do you want? He says, God, I want wisdom. So God gives him wisdom and he also gives him everything else that he could have asked for. So we know that about Solomon. We also know about Solomon that Solomon walked with God And that for a period of time that he apostatized and he left God because of relationships that drew him away. And then he returns to God. The book of Ecclesiastes, the little word Ecclesiastes means assembled ones or 
the assembly. This book, oftentimes Solomon writes himself or he describes himself as the preacher. If you were to read this book, and maybe you've had a lot of experience with this book or little exposure with this book, you would read this book and say, man, this book was written by a, a disgruntled uh, unbeliever that really has no bearing to the life of the believer. Well, let me encourage you that this individual is a preacher and he is speaking to the assembled ones. This book is for the benefit of the church. It is to encourage your faith this morning. It is to encourage my faith this morning. It is to encourage our walk in obedience. This book, of course, it's, it's found in the section that we find in the Old Testament of, of wisdom literature. Wisdom literature, wisdom. The Bible tells us that, that God, He founded this earth with wisdom. That His creation with, was established with wisdom. That there's a certain order to life. Wisdom is the ability to see how life works in God's universe. Wisdom is the ability to perceive how actions and consequences work together. It's the ability to see the, the future or the result of an action of where it will take you. Wisdom is the ability to stay on the path of wisdom and not to enter in the path of folly. Ecclesiastes, it's a, it's a philosophical book. He is trying to understand the meaning of life. And these questions that, that men have tried to answer for ages. And why are we here? What in the world is our purpose here? What, what are we doing every day that we live our lives as we go and we work and we toil? And of course, the Bible tells us that in Genesis, God proclaims a fundamental truth that He is a creator and that He has created us and we are His creatures and we are not Him and that our meaning in life consists in glorifying Him. And of course, the Bible tells us that sin comes into the picture and that when we live in contradiction to that there will be trouble and there will be issues in life as you come to the book of ecclesiastes you come into verse number two and solomon he begins with this thesis statements in this book and he says this that all of life is vanity of vanities it's all of life is is meaningless he tells us in verse number 15 verse number 15 of chapter one is one of my favorite verses in all the bible and you may think it's a a weird verse but Solomon says that he looks at life and he's trying to figure out life. And he says it in life that what is crooked cannot be made straight. He says there's something about life that we're always wanting to perfect things. We always want to fix things. We always want to make something that's messed up. We want to make it straight. And he says we cannot do it. And he says it frustrates us. And he says it brings pain to us. And he says on top of that, there's all this meaningless in life. You know, I counsel a lot of people in the Navy and I counsel a lot of people with anxiety and, and worry issues. And, and our culture is filled with people with anxiety. Uh, it, it's a billion dollar industry. People just walking around with anxiety and worry. Um, and there's two fundamental truths that I've come to grips with life. That if you do not embrace these two fundamental truths that you're not going to have a lot of mental or spiritual stability. The first fundamental truth is this, is that there is very little in life that you have control over. Very little in life that you have control over. Um, if you do not come to grips with that at some point in life, there will be uh, many issues to flow. The second fundamental thing that I think that Solomon speaks to is that there's very few things in life that we have the ability to fix. 
there's very few things in life that we have the ability to fix. Um, if you try to live in contradiction to those things, if you try to be God in this universe, there will be consequences to that. Solomon says that he's trying to understand these things. And he says that these things frustrate him. And he comes to verse number three and he says this, what does it gain by all of our toil of man living under the sun? This phrase under the sun and vanity of fannies are really the two phrases that you come uh, back and forth with Ecclesiastes and they open up the meaning of the book. The phrase under the sun, Solomon uses it 29 times in the book. And what does under the sun mean? Under the sun means this, Solomon is trying to make sense of life under the sun. He's trying to understand life under the sun horizontally. He's trying to understand life apart from God. There's no God. There's no creator. There's no purpose here. I'm just trying to understand what in the heck am I doing here? There's nothing out there. There's nothing greater than me. And I'm trying to make sense of my existence every day of why I do what I do. And he says, I'm trying to understand life apart from God. Why do I work? And why do I work so hard and then I die? And he says that when I look at life, he says, under the sun apart from God, life seems so weary and so troublesome and so unfulfilling. He says it seems to have no purpose. And he says, what gain is it? The term gain, it's a, it's a commercial term for business. What profit? What surplus? He says, what gain is there of everything that I do in life? He says it seems to have no meaning. And then he kind of parses this out a little bit more in 5 through 7. And he talks about creation and just how creation goes. And, and the analogy that he gives in life is that he says that that one thing that makes life so meaningless and pointless is life is not progressive, but it's repetitive. He says if you look at creation, creation tells us that all of life is just a continual cycle and a continual circle. Solomon says that life is, is like this gigantic chalkboard that, that illustrates, or creation is just this gigantic chalkboard that illustrates for us that, that life is repetitive and life is, is boring. As one preacher says, the problem with daily life, it's that it's so daily. Solomon says that when he looks at life, he says that most of our life is just mind-numbing repetition. And he says it's, it's, it's psychologically exhausting at points. He, he says, I, I look at it, and he says just that there's nothing ever done. Work is never completed. There are many things that I hate in life, and... And I hate laundry in the house. Laundry is never done. I, I try to help out with laundry. The, the thing is at the end of the hallway and the kids put it in there and you, you clear it out and, and, and you put it away and you just think it's, this is done. And then one of those little kids, they, they throw a sock in there and you just see that sock and it, and it reminds you that it's starting all over again. You pay your bills. You, you go out to the, uh, the mailbox and you get the bills and you bring them in and you, and you pay them. It's done. It's completed. And the mailman comes back. Let me put something else in there. I, I, I try to 
do the, uh, and don't, my wife is not here, so I don't want to act like I'm doing everything around the house. Um, you, you don't get that impression. Uh, but my wife usually cooks, and I usually clean up. The kitchen, the kids clean up, help usually uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a good world. Um, but you clean up the kitchen, and I, and I love to see the kitchen clean, and everything is done. And then the kids, they, they just have to have water at the end of the night, don't they? This is water. And then that cup, it just, it just sits there. And it's almost as though it's mocking you. It's, it's laughing at you. It's, it's not done. It's, it's the cycle, it, it continues again and, and you just feel this, that there's nothing done and there's, there's no hope and you want something to be perfected. And then he says in verse 4, one generation goes and another generation comes, but the earth remains forever. He says that, that a generation comes up and they say, hey, we're the generation that we're going to solve things and we're going to fix things and everything's going to be different because of us. Every other generation before us was dumb and they didn't have it together. But now we're the generation that's going to fix it. There's only two times in life where you have all the answers. That's when you graduate from high school and college, right? That's the time. So my dad used to mockingly tell me when I was in high school, Joe, write your book now while you still have all the answers. You don't want to wait till later when you don't have them. There's something about a generation, they, they come up. There's a reason why on a college campus there's always a movement. There's always a cause, right? We want to fix things. But as one preacher says, the earth is like an exercise bike. One generation comes out of the womb, jumps on the bike and pedals like mad to try and fix it. And eventually they die and they fall off. And then the next generation gets on it. And Solomon, he continues this thought where he's trying to make sense of life under the sun. And he says in verse number 8 that all things are wearisome and, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done. Solomon says that he gets tired of just thinking of life. He, he says it's wearisome and it's, and it's boring. That, that all of life just consists of a, of a boredom to it. Some of you kids may be feeling that right now, right? You, you've left school and you wanted to get out of school and now you're, you're finally out of school and you've, you've gone to the pool and you swam, but now that word just kind of keeps coming up. I'm, I'm bored, right? I'm bored. And then he says this in verses 9 through 10. He says the only thing that kind of could give some person any hope living in this universe is that there'd be something new under the sun. He says in verse number 9, what has been is what will be. He says what's been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. He says, you, you see, this is new, but he says, this has already been done. He says, you, you, you look at one generation, and they say, this is new, this, is, this has never been done. It's interesting to look at fads, right? You know, there was a fad a while back. This is a new fad. We're going and buying old clothes at the thrift store and they're new clothes, right? This is a new style. We're wearing these. My mom told me recently that Birkenstocks are coming back in style. I said, haven't they been in style? Or are they just in style? And the problem is, is that whatever comes up, there's, there's nothing new. We want something to be new. We, we want something to, to be new and, and to bring satisfaction but it doesn't. 
We've all had that experience where we get something new, right? We've gotten a pair of new shoes, and it's, and it's amazing how a new shirt or new shoes has psychological effect over it, doesn't it? Don't we just feel a little skinnier with a new shirt, right? We just feel a better looking with a new shirt. We feel like we can actually run when we get those new shoes. They're, they're going to they're gonna give us the, the power and the motivation to exercise, right? But the problem is, is it doesn't fix things. That sensation that it, it eventually leaves us. And he says, is what already has been done in ages past has been done and there's, there's nothing new. And he says in verse 11, he says, there's no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of things, of latter things, of yet among those who come after them. Solomon says that, you know, in life, you, you, one generation comes, it's like a set of actors on the stage. I think Calvin made that analogy, and they there for a period of time, and then they leave them, and, and no one remembers, and we, we all end up in the same place. As Solomon talked about life. My grandmother, she passed away a while back. She was 85 years old. She was a missionary for many of her years. Her and my grandfather were married 55, 60 plus years. They were fundamental kind of independent Baptist missionaries. And um, he was a postman for 20 years, retired, and then they went into mission work. And they, they grew up in very meager means, but my grandfather just had a lot of common sense. He was a good businessman and knew how to make money. He just knew how to buy a piece of property and sell it. He was just very good with those things. But him and my grandmother, they, they only had like an eighth or ninth grade education. Got married at 16, that kind of thing. Um, that great generation. Uh, married for 55 years. Um, but, but just did very well in life with little education. And my grandmother, towards the end of her life, she was in an assisted living place. And my grandfather passed away. And she had developed a relationship, just a kind of a friendship with this man in the, uh, in the retirement place. And we would used to tease her about it a little bit. Uh, and she would take it in good fun. And, and they would sit on the porch at night and they would chat. And she was relaying one of the stories. This man was a very accomplished person. He had a PhD. He's a very educated man. He was over all the fraternities and sororities in the state of Georgia. And he spoke and all these kind of things. And he was a very gentle man. And she said that one day they were sitting on the porch and they were rocking out there and they were talking about life. And she said to him, Mr. Howe, isn't it amazing that you had all that education and I had an eighth grade education. And we both ended up in the same spot, didn't we? The same spot, sitting here rocking, still trying to figure out life. And Solomon says that this is what he looks at life under the sun. So where is the gospel? You say, why did God do this? Solomon is saying that life is crooked and he's saying that life is cursed and that life is an endless repetition of unaccomplished tasks. You say that God put us in this universe because He hates us and because He's mad at us. Is this some kind of weird science experience, experiment? The Gospel tells us that no, that, that God places us in this universe because He loves us. He wants us to realize that the wages of sin is death and that the consequence of sin is great. He wants us every day to be a degree of, of frustration that we live in a world that is not perfect, that we live in a world that never is anything finished, that we live in a world that never is anything ultimately completed. 
And that reality would make us cry out in frustration to Him. That we would cry out in frustration to Him that He is the only one that can sever what has been disconnected and broken. That one day that He would send a Redeemer and that everything that was lost would be reconnected back to God. You see, if we look at life under the sun, it's amazing that not all of us aren't crazy. But the Bible tells us that we look at life through lenses of faith. That we must look at life above the sun. We must look at life continuously through gospel lenses. Revelation 21 says this, Behold, I am making all things what? New. That under the sun there is vanity and there is nothing new. And man will seek new things and think that there will be a solution there. But there will be nothing there for him. But the Bible tells us that there is one thing progressing. And that is the kingdom of God. And that God is taking this creation and He is making a creation and He is forming it and He is completing it and eventually everything ultimately will be restored. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, No eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. If we try to find satisfaction in anything other than Christ, we will be left longing and unsatisfied. If you think that your job or your employment or your work is in some ways going to satisfy you. If you think in some ways having a child or raising children or marriage or anything like that is going to satisfy you other than Christ, it will leave you longing. God says that He's not only progressing His kingdom in this world, that He allows us to be involved in the progression of that kingdom he tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that the Lord, your labor is not in what? Not in vain. You, you see, Solomon is looking at life under the sun, apart from God, and he says it's all vain. But he says, you know, when, he, when he, Paul comes along and he, he reconnects those gospel lenses and he begins to look at life and he begins to look at the toil and the, the mundane repetition of life that you wake up one day and you do it and then you wake up the next day and you do it and you do it again and nothing seems to be complete. Paul says that when you look at life through the lenses of the gospel, you know that it's not in vain. You, you know that God is doing something. You know, church, I think that the gospel tells us many things. But I think that one thing that the gospel primarily shouts to us on a regular basis is that God is in the process of sanctifying us through the ordinary. He is in the process of sanctifying us through the ordinary. 
if you look at the history of mankind through the church, most of the things that's been done is the ordinary. Has there been extraordinary? Sure. There was one Pentecost in the book of Acts, though. One. There was two great awakenings. There's been things that were great, and we should seek those things out. We should pray for revival. We should want God to do the extraordinary. But I believe that even when God does the extraordinary, it's to bring us back to the ordinary. That's where we live. We live in the ordinary. We live in the confession of sin to our spouse, of sinning against them and asking for forgiveness. We, get, we live in the context of our children not getting along and we correct it and then the next day they're doing it again. We live in the process of going to work and feeling unfulfilled and unsatisfied. And it's so easy, easy to miss that God is doing a miracle in the midst of the ordinary. Church, wherever you are this morning, and maybe you're a housewife, and maybe you're at home with children, and you're taking care of a child, or you're taking care of a baby, or you're taking care of a toddler, and your life just exists around cleaning diapers, and washing dishes, and doing laundry, and whatever it may be, and you're thinking to yourself, what in the world is God doing in this? He's doing one of the most amazing things on the planet. He's sanctifying an individual. He's sanctifying an individual. Anytime that an individual confesses of their sins and repents of their sins and embraces Christ, it's the most amazing thing that takes place on this planet. Because we were not hardwired for it. We were not. And if you right now, God is using your work or He is using your employment or whatever He is using in the ordinary to sanctify you, embrace it and be thankful to a glorious God that He is allowing these small things in your life to sanctify you through the ordinary. Is it hard, church? Absolutely. It's hard. But aren't you glad that you're not an unbeliever and you don't go to work every day and you would say, what in the world am I doing here? That God has opened your eyes to wisdom and you understand His creation and you understand His process and you know that He's changing you and He's sanctifying you. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for the power of it. We're thankful that you're a God that sanctifies us in the midst of the ordinary and the mundane and that you are doing extraordinary things in our life in the midst of the ordinary. And Father, we ask that we would submit to your power and your control and your kind providence in our life to the glory of the triune God. And we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.